European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 11. Focus Issue, Clinical Trials, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. The Key Role of Trials in Cardiovascular Medicine, Challenges and Opportunities. This focus issue on clinical trials contains the state-of-the-art review article Improving Representativeness in Trials, a call to action from the Global Cardiovascular Clinical Trialists Forum by Linnea Philby and colleagues from McMaster's University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. The authors note that trials have shaped the way we practice medicine. Yet participants enrolled in randomized controlled trials of cardiovascular disease, or CVD, are not often representative of the population living with the disease. Older adults, children, women, black, indigenous and people of color, and people living in low and middle income countries are typically under-enrolled in trials relative to disease distribution. Treatment effect estimates of CVD therapies have been largely derived from trial evidence generated in white men without complex comorbidities, limiting the generalizability of evidence. This review highlights barriers and facilitators of trial enrollment, temporal trends, and the rationale for representativeness. It proposes strategies to increase representativeness in CVD trials, including trial designs that minimize the research burden on participants, inclusive recruitment practices and eligibility criteria, diversification of clinical trial leadership, and research capacity building in underrepresented regions. Implementation of such strategies could generate better and more generalizable evidence to reduce knowledge gaps and position the cardiovascular trial enterprise as a vehicle to counter existing healthcare inequalities. In a joint opinion article entitled Randomized Trials Fit for the 21st Century, a joint opinion from the European Society of Cardiology, American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, and the World Heart Federation. The authors note that cardiology provided the foundation for an era of highly successful clinical trials and is well placed to reinvent trials for the 21st century. The ESC, AHA, ACC and WHF are committed to ensuring that high-quality trials continue to provide randomized evidence that improves the clinical care of all patients across different race and gender identities, socioeconomic strata and geographies. Technology has transformed medical practice in recent decades and clinical trials need to keep pace if modern therapies and treatment strategies are to continue to be robustly evaluated. Digital advances provide streamlined solutions to trial conduct, such as app-based data collection, remote monitoring, and virtual trial visits. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced us to think more critically about many elements of daily life, with a rapid change in what is now considered normal. A timely opportunity exists to promote similarly radical changes into the conduct of trials to enhance efficiencies while maintaining safety. Optimal management of intermittent claudication, or IC, remains disputed. In a meta-analysis article entitled 
endovascular revascularization strategies for aortoliac and femoropopliteal artery disease, a meta-analysis. David Kuckerling and colleagues from the University of Bern in Switzerland compare efficacy and safety outcomes for balloon angioplasty, or BA, bare metal stents, or BMSs, drug-coated balloons, or DCBs, drug-eluting stents, or DESs, covered stents, and atherectomy. Electronic databases were searched for randomized control trials, or RCTs, from inception through November 2021. Efficacy outcomes were primary patency, target lesion revascularization, or TLR, and quality of life, or QOL. Safety endpoints were all-cause mortality and major amputation. The study was registered on Prospero, CRD 4202-1292-639. 51 RCTs enrolling approximately 8,500 patients' stroke lesions were included. Ephemeropopliteal disease of low to intermediate complexity, drug-coated balloons were associated with higher likelihood of primary patency, short-term, odds ratio, or OR 3.21, long-term, OR 2.47, lower target lesion revascularization, short-term OR 0.33, long-term OR 0.42, and similar all-cause mortality risk compared with balloon angioplasty. Primary stenting using bare metal stents was associated with improved short- to mid-term patency and target lesion revascularization, but similar long-term efficacy compared with provisional stenting. Mid-term patency, OR 1.64, and target lesion revascularization, OR 0.50 estimates, were comparable for drug-eluting stents versus bare metal stents. Atherectomy used independently or adjunctively was not associated with efficacy benefits compared with drug-coated and uncoated angioplasty or stenting approaches. Paucity and heterogeneity of data precluded pooled analysis for aortoliac disease and QOL endpoints. The authors conclude that certain devices may provide benefits in femoropopliteal disease, but comparative data in aortoliac arteries are lacking. Gaps in evidence quantity and quality impede identification of the optimal endovascular approach to IC. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Tommaso Donati and Yamome Chomba from the Universitario Agemelli IRCCS Università Cattolica del Sacro Cuore in Rome, Italy and Gianmarco De Donato from the University of Siena in Italy. The authors note that in an era of precision personalised medicine, we should be asking which treatment modality, in combination with which medical protocol, is more effective on a given plaque. Just to mention a few, plaque characterization, artificial intelligence and radiomics could all come to our rescue in defining the future of patient-tailored plaque therapy. Our inability to interpret our own data and to choose knowingly among treatment options should no longer be an obstacle to solving the problem and make us, or the patients, lie in immobility like Beridian's ass. The optimal duration of dual antiplatelet therapy, or DAPT, 
after percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, is still debated. In a second meta-analysis article entitled Dual Antiplatelet Therapy Duration After Percutaneous Coronary Intervention in High Bleeding Risk, a meta-analysis of randomized trials. Francesco Costa and colleagues from the University of Messina in Italy evaluated the impact of an abbreviated DAP regimen in high-bleeding risk, or HBR, patients using the totality of existing evidence. A systematic review and meta-analysis was performed to search RCTs comparing abbreviated i.e. very short, one month, or short, three months, with standard, greater than or equal to six months, DAPT, in HBR patients without indication for oral anticoagulation. A total of 11 trials, including 9,006 HBR patients, were included. Abbreviated DAPT was associated with a significant reduction of major or clinically relevant non-major bleeding risk ratio, or RR, 0.76, major bleeding, RR, 0.80, and cardiovascular mortality, RR, 0.79, compared with standard DAPT. No difference in all-cause mortality, major adverse cardiovascular events, myocardial infarction, or stent thrombosis was observed. Results were consistent, irrespective of HBR definition and clinical presentation. The authors conclude that in HBR patients undergoing PCI, a one- or three-month abbreviated DAP regimen is associated with lower bleeding and cardiovascular mortality without increasing ischemic events compared with a greater than or equal to six-month DAPT regimen. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Davida Capadano and Antonio Greco from the University of Catania in Italy. The authors note that in general, the results of the meta-analysis of Costa et al. suggest that short DAPT reduces bleeding in patients with HBR-PCI and does not harm them. When applying the results of this study to current practice, one must keep in mind that patients with oral anticoagulation were excluded and PCI complexity was not high. For patients undergoing non-complex PCI, who are at HBR but without an indication for chronic anticoagulation, it's fair to say that one to three months of DAPT reduces the risk of major or clinically relevant non-major bleeding without apparently increasing the risk of thrombotic events. With a dedicated randomized trial, master DAPT, and now a larger meta-analysis supporting this statement, the level of evidence for short DAPT in HBR patients qualifies for an A stamp. Issuing a Class 1 recommendation would also not be inappropriate if the phrasing of the recommendation is specific to HBR patients where concerns of bleeding outweigh the concerns of thrombosis. Identifying such HBR patients can be aided by dedicated tools, but it's ultimately within the scope of clinical judgment and the art of medicine. Lipid-lowering treatment plays a key role in cardiovascular disease prevention. In a clinical research article entitled Moderate-Intensity Statin with Azitimab versus High-Intensity Statin in Patients with Diabetes and Atherosclerotic Cardiovascular Disease in the Racing Trial, 
Yong Jun Lee and colleagues from the Yonsei University College of Medicine in Seoul, Korea, evaluated the effect of moderate-intensity statin with azitimib combination therapy versus high-intensity statin monotherapy among patients with diabetes mellitus, or DM, and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or ASCVD. This was a pre-specified stratified subgroup analysis of the DM cohort in the racing trial. The primary outcome was a three-year composite of cardiovascular death, major cardiovascular events, or non-fatal stroke. Among all patients, 37% had DM at baseline. The incidence of the primary outcome was 10% and 11.3% among patients with DM randomized to azitimid combination therapy versus high-intensity statin monotherapy, hazard ratio 0.89, P equaling 0.460. Intolerance-related discontinuation or dose reduction of the study drug was observed in 5.2% and 8.7% of patients in each group respectively, P equaling 0.014. LDL cholesterol levels less than 70 mg per deciliter at 1, 2 and 3 years were observed in 81.0, 83.1 and 79.9% of patients in the azitimib combination therapy group, and in 64.1, 70.2 and 66.8% of patients in the high-intensity statin monotherapy group, all P being less than 0.001. In the total population, no significant interactions were found between DM status and therapy regarding primary outcome, intolerance-related discontinuation or dose reduction, and the proportion of patients with LDL cholesterol levels less than 70 mg per deciliter. The authors conclude that azitimib combination therapy effects observed in the racing trial population are preserved among patients with DM. This study supports moderate-intensity statin with azitimib combination therapy as a suitable alternative to high-intensity statins if the latter cannot be tolerated or if a further reduction in LDL cholesterol is required. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Neil Stone from the Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois, USA. Stone concludes that the subgroup analysis by Lee and colleagues, while hypothesis-generating due to its small size, nonetheless provides a valuable reminder for us that strategies that have the potential to improve adherence are important for all, but especially those at highest risk. However, it may be vital to consider more than just racing to keep LDL cholesterol and apolipoprotein B low in secondary prevention with proven therapy. We also need to stop and focus on achieving adherence with regular follow-up testing to derive the full benefit of our guideline-directed anti-atherosclerotic therapy. Innovative studies to guide clinicians and patients on improving adherence should be an important focus for continuing research to provide effective implementation of guideline-directed strategies. In a clinical research article entitled Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Reduces Psychological Distress in Younger Patients with Cardiac Disease, a Randomized Trial, Annette Holtgaard and colleagues from the Bispeberg Frederiksberg Hospital in Copenhagen, Denmark, 
Test whether usual outpatient cardiac rehabilitation, or CR, supplemented by a cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, intervention, may reduce anxiety and depression compared with usual CR. In this multicenter RCT, 147 cardiac patients, 67% men, mean age 54 years, 92% with coronary artery disease, with psychological distress defined as a hospital anxiety and depression scale, or HAD score, greater than or equal to 8, were randomized to five sessions of group CBT plus usual CR, intervention, N equaling 74, or CR alone, control, N equaling 73. Patients with severe distress or a psychiatric diagnosis were excluded. The intervention was delivered by cardiac nurses with CBT training and supervised by a psychologist. A reference non-randomized group, background, N equaling 41, of consecutive patients without psychological distress receiving usual CR was included to explore the effect of time on the HAD score. The primary outcome of total HAD score after three months improved more in the intervention group than in the control group. The mean total HAD score improved by 8.0 versus 4.1, PE being less than 0.001. Significant between-group differences were maintained after six months. Compared with the control group, the intervention group also had greater adherence to CR, P equaling 0.003, more improvement in heart-related quality of life, or heart QOL, at six months, P being less than 0.01, and a significant reduction in cardiac readmissions at 12 months, P being less than 0.01. The background group had no significant changes in HAD score over time. The authors conclude that brief CBT provided by cardiac nurses in relation to CR reduces anxiety and depression scores, improves heart QOL and adherence to CR, and reduces cardiovascular readmissions. The program is simple and may be implemented by CR nurses. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Susanna Pedersen, Robert Arm, and Ole Skov from the University of Southern Denmark in Odense, Denmark. The authors highlight that the study by Holdegaard et al. shows promising results of integrating a brief nurse-led CBT intervention into CR. Targeting mental health and integrating it as part of CR is essential, as it may also reduce the stigma that some patients still have with respect to seeking help for psychological distress. It could be seen as an integrated CR package, geared to all risk factors including the psychological. While this may prove to be a useful piece of the puzzle, a wider perspective and additional treatment options are warranted to fulfil the psychological needs of the broad range of patients enrolled in CR. The authors suggest a stepped care framework with evidence-based interventions at each step, matched to fit the individual patient. Offering different modes of delivery, i.e. face-to-face, e-health-based, or a combination, i.e. blended care, should be considered as this gives patients a choice and may enhance adherence as compared with using a one-size-fits-all approach. Unfortunately, this still leaves one challenge, 
as also seen in the study by Holdgaard et al. and other studies, which is suboptimal referral of patients to CR and many patients who drop out. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.